You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. When you have a baby, you may dream of what future they will one day have. Chances are, though, you're not plotting how to get them laid. Kathy <laughs> Lett's latest book, Best Laid Plans, is about a mother whose autistic adult child is on the hunt for love. And this mum in the book goes to extraordinary lengths to get him what he needs. Kathy, welcome to Kindling Conversation. <laughs> That's a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So the book um, has inspiration from your own life and yes. your son, Julius. Mm-hmm. He was diagnosed as being on the spectrum at age three. Mm-hmm. And the character in the book, Merlin, I'm really curious. He has such a beautifully poetic way of speaking mm. Does Julius speak like that? He does. I mean, anyone who doesn't know what autism is, it's a lifelong neurological condition. Its chief characteristics are an inability to communicate, socialise, often chronic OCD and anxiety, but also often a really high IQ. I mean, my own son is like Wikipedia with a pulse. <laughs> and yet there's a great dichotomy in their IQ because he, you know, even though he, I can say to him, where was I on the 3rd of June 2003? And he'll know where I was, what I was wearing and what we talked about. He can't get the right change from the corner store. So, but we know with diagnostic hindsight that Mozart and Einstein and Orwell and Van Gogh and Steve Jobs and probably Bill Gates and all these amazing people were on the spectrum. So with the right help, they can give back to society in the most fascinating ways. But we just have to learn to be less judgmental and accept them with all their eccentricities and their quirks and their idiosyncrasies because they're fascinating people. My own son has taught me there's no such thing as normal and abnormal. There's ordinary and extraordinary. And autistic people are truly unique and original. And that's definitely something I think that comes out in the book because I couldn't get enough of reading the things (laughs) and the way that he phrased things. Um, is that what we're missing when we talk about autism, the beauty that can come from these, um, in a way they seem emotionally fragile but mm. very open and mm. communicative in that way? Mm. I mean, I think they have, autistic people have no filter, so they say whatever they're thinking. But in, in, a, in a Donald Trump post-truth world, I think this is a wonderfully rare and inspiring Asset. <laughs> I'm thinking about sitting, setting jewels up in a truth booth where people come in and pay to be told the truth. Does my bum look big in this? Well, yes, it does, or whatever. But when you first get the diagnosis, it, um, it does. This is a diagnosis that does drag you down into the dark. It's the A word, and I think parents go through certain stages. I mean, in my from in my own experience, when he was diagnosed with autism at three, I just went into denial. I thought, this is my beautiful baby boy. How can anyone say that about him? I bankrupted myself seeing every medical expert on the planet. I hate to think how many doctors' children I've now put through university. (laughs) And then you go, um, your guilt gland throbs. I mean, as mothers, we all feel guilty all the time anyway. (laughs) But as a mother of a special needs child, you think, was it something I ate? Was it something I drank? Was it that one glass of wine in the final trimester? You know, if only I'd feng shui'd my aura, like when a Paltrow <laughs> and organic go, all would be fine. Then you do go through a phase that's not so attractive, the kind of why me's, and you feel a bit sorry for yourself because it is overwhelming. But then after a while, you just start to think, well, this is the unique little person I've been given, and I've just got to do my best by them. Um, and you know, I, I like to concentrate on the positive sides of autism because all you hear is doom and gloom. And there are a lot of positives. First of all, the way they think. I mean, Jules, 
lost his language. He see, when he was born, Jeff and I just thought he was so advanced, walked and talked early, and was he was so bright. And then it's like their computer crashes at about you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen months. Then he didn't speak again till he was four. But then when he did start speaking, he he was saying the most interesting things. I mean, I was in. The experts were saying to me, he's always going to be retarded, he's got global delay, he'll probably have to be in a home. And yet I'm in the kitchen and, and he's four and he walks in and I'm chopping vegetables. And he looked up at me and he said, Mum, if onions make you cry, are there vegetables that make you happy? Oh, thought, my goodness. What a great question. And the next day he's like, Mum, what's the speed of dark? And, I mean, every day he asks me questions I can't answer. Yeah. So, you know, I think we have to stop trying to make autistic kids normal. Just let them be their best autistic selves. Let's just celebrate them for their differences. I mean, I think autistic people are the garlic in life salad and how boring it would be without them. It's kind of a case of the bland leading the bland. So I put a little piece up on my Facebook about Jules and what's happened to him because he's, he's he, okay, the two things I would say to pe- parents listening, if you have a child on the spectrum, first of all, build up their self-esteem because every day they're told they're wrong, they're stupid, they're out of sync and their self-esteem gets lower than Kim Kardashian's bikini line, (laughs) which is quite low. Um, And also feed their obsessions because they are very obsessional. So whether it's igneous rock formations or, you know, moth wing fluctuations in the Amazon, whatever it is, just feed it because these are the people who turn out to be the brilliant scientists. Um, But in my own son's case, he wanted to be an actor. And I kept thinking, how can you act when you've got autism? Because it's about emoting and it's about, you know, nuance. Um, But I I fed his obsession. I put him into a a foundation acting class. And I used to go and watch him, you know, in the end of school, uh, in the end of uh, year productions. And I think, you're really good. And I thought, no, no, I've got the mum goggles on, the mum filters. Uh, And then he got, he won some awards, then he got an agent, and then he got a part in a huge BBC series. It's the first time they've ever cast an autistic actor to play an autistic character. They normally get Dustin Hoffman to pretend to be Rain Man, you know. And he's now watched by six million people a week. He's got a fan base. And I think back to when he was at school and he was so badly bullied, as most autistic kids are. Um, 65% of autistic kids report serious bullying as opposed to 11% in the neurotypical community. He came home one day at about nine with a, a sign sticky tape to his back saying, kick me, I'm a retard. And saying to me, mum, the kids are calling me a retard. What is a retard? I mean, you might as well have taken my heart out of my chest, thrown it on the floor and just stomped on it. But I think back to that time now and I do allow myself a little moment of light gloating where I think, I hope you rotters are watching him now <laughs> you now and how well But I put this up on my Facebook, a little story about what had happened to my own son and it got two and a half million reposts overnight. I remember reading it. Because people would, you know, they want to hear something positive about autism. It's not all doom and gloom. Mm. You know, we just have to learn to celebrate them. With, um, I mean, one of the things that you talk about, just then you were talking about that horrible, horrible message coming home on his back. Mm. And I mean, most parents worry about their children fitting in socially. And I think... Or I hope that for most people, those fears disappear as their child gets older and you can see them finding their own tribe and fitting in. But I wonder if you're going to put your Jules filter on for a moment, to be completely honest. Do you think that that fear um, for parents of children who are on the spectrum, that that never leaves them? Never leaves you. I mean, I will never cut the psychological umbilical cord because he he will always, Jules will always need me. 
But in the po- there's even a positive side to that because my girlfriends whose sons, as soon as they turn 13, they develop a three-grunt vocabulary of not, don't know, and bleh. <laughs> and they never they don't speak to them again. They don't see them again till they till they come out of their room when they need to borrow the car when they're seventeen. But my son tells me everything. We have an incredibly intimate emotional relationship. We're incredibly close. Sometimes he tells me way too much. <laughs> it's like paging Doctor Freud to reception. You know, especially when he tells me all the details of his sex life. Oh, I'm like ah. So sometimes it's too much. But also it's it's re- we're really close, and not a lot of mothers have that with their. Son. And also when there's the, – what normally happens when a, a, a boy meets a girl, the boy tends to go off with the girl's family, you know, because women are so sociable and we're so family-oriented. So often mothers say they kind of lose their sons in a way. I mean, then if you have an autistic son, that will never happen. So once again, there is always a positive side. But what makes it very hard when it comes to um, the teen years, of course, is that – uh, they are a bit in social Siberia because they're so exotic. You know, they're so different. The girls their own age find them just too too weird. I mean, they, they look at me as though I didn't give birth to Jules, but I, I found him under a spaceship and I'm raising him as my own. <laughs> so they they don't have all the girlfriend experiences that other boys their own age are having. Uh, and so, you know, even though I'm a feminist, I have to confess that Jules was so low and so down because of endless rejections years after years because they just saw him as like a, a sherbet-winged flamingo flying down the high street. It just <laughs> seemed so odd to girls his own age. I seriously considered hiring him a prostitute. Uh, luckily, just before his 21st birthday, he did meet a girl, fall in love, and nature took its course. But a couple of weeks later, I read about uh, a father of an autistic boy who was arrested for curb crawling to pick up a prostitute for his son. And I thought, oh, my God, that, that was, could have been, been me. Yeah. But I also thought that's a brilliant opening to a novel because this idea of um, special pe- sex with special needs is a taboo subject. People don't talk about it. And it's very rare as a writer to stumble across a topic that nobody has written a novel about before. So I thought, I'm going to I'm going to put it all out on paper. Of course, it's not a documentary. It's a made-up story. Well, for starters, she's a single mum. She's so a single mum. and There's and differences there. Exactly. One child, you've got two. And I've got a very big autistic community. You know, so all the other mothers and fathers I know of, of kids on the spectrum told me all their stories. And I've woven into a com- comic um, deliciously comic kind of chaotic tale but the heart of it is absolutely true and I think what what I want the book to explain is that when it comes to sex we all have special needs right? <laughs> yeah, all of us fair enough call. <laughs> you know one of the things that the mother in this book um, she describes herself when she's talking about what her son Merlin I love the name given <laughs> this character um, she describes herself as being like a lion when it comes to her son and um, I know friends of mine who have children with special needs and they're incredibly fierce very strong women very um, educated women they're really the advocates for their kids and I'm wondering when it comes to the fierceness and the strength is that something that you feel happened as soon as you found out that um, Jules was on the spectrum or is it like a muscle that you have to develop as your child faces new challenges, as they develop and you understand what their needs will be. I think all mothers feel that lioness-type love where your claws come out to protect your cubs. 
But when they're particularly vulnerable, like uh, when you have a child with special needs, then yes, you do develop. I think you're right. You do develop that muscle. You have to be everything to them. You've got to be their bouncer, physically protecting them from bullying. You've got to be their advocate legally, fighting for their their educational rights. You've got to be a scientist reading every medical report that comes and seeing if there's any way you can help them. You've got to be their emotional counsellor. And in my book, you've got to be their pimp as well. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But the other thing I wanted to say is that that, that why this book is resonating with so many women is that all parents – go through a trauma when their kids start dating. It's very confronting when they bring home boyfriends and girlfriends and they sleep the night. Because, you know, my generation, we had to leave home to have sex. (laughs) But now we let them have sex at home. So, you know, over the breakfast table in the morning, every parent has had some very confronting moments. So... It's just, it's, a, it's an everyday experience. But when you have a child with special needs, of course, you just turn the vol- turn the angstometer up like about 100%. <laughs> but there is rich comedy there. So, I mean, we know more about autism today than we did when Jules was born. And, and thanks to people like yourself, we're breaking new boundaries, even speaking about, like you say, taboos when it comes to sex mm-hmm. and special needs. But do you feel like the world has changed? There's a scene in the book um, where the mum is desperately trying to explain to a police officer that her son has autism, that he needs her, that he's out there in the world alone. And I found that really difficult to read because I thought, surely there aren't people like that anymore. Surely he would understand that you need to get out there, you know. Um, Do you feel that the world has changed? Is it more accepting today than it was when Jules was born? It's much more understood now than it was when Jules was diagnosed. That's absolutely true. Then the A word was like almost like a death sentence. But then, you know, people, I suppose, like me advocating uh, the rights of autistic people and also my son playing this autistic character in in a a popular medical drama, these projects like that, do more to take the stigma out of autism than a million dry documentaries because the audience, the reader or the TV audience can emote and feel for the character and understand their their situation. But it's still, people still don't know that much and it's always a worry when um, your autistic child is out and about because their disability is invisible. They don't have a white stick. They don't have a wheelchair. So it's very easy for things to get out of control. You know, if they get arrested by a police person for saying, and then they say the wrong thing, and then they're in more trouble for resisting arrest and for being rude, it could easily spiral down into a Kafkaesque kind of nightmare. So there is a, a push in Britain for autistic people to wear a kind of woven bracelet on one hand that uh, that medical people and police people understand means is an indication you have autism. But the worry is, does that then make them uh, easy target if other people find out about it? Because they're very easily exploited because they're so open and honest. It's very easy to get their bank um, details out of them and things like that. So... I'm not sure about that. We're still weighing that up. But we now know that one in every 68 people is on the spectrum. So it's a, and there's a lot of undiagnosed autism out there. I mean, just think about your father or your husband for a minute. If he's a plane spotter, a train spotter, if he puts his musical music, his records in alphabetical order, like fanatically, 
Um, if he's emotional bonsai and you have to whack the fertilizer on to get any feelings out of him, there's a very good chance that he's on the spectrum. It's called an extreme form of maleness, <laughs> right? And, of course, there are girls, of course, who have autism, not as many. It comes through the male line and it mainly affects boys. And even the, the young women I know who do have autism, because women are a bit more socially adept, they're a little bit better at kind of hiding it and fitting in. But that's the other thing I was going to say about my son becoming an actor, you know, putting the artistic into autistic. When I thought about it later, I thought, actually, autistic people are acting all the time, every day. They're acting, trying to be normal and trying to fit in. So no wonder he's good at it. (laughs) Maybe all autistic people should do acting classes because you're practicing scenarios all the time. Mm. So it's actually a really might be a very good sort of uh, teaching tool. You dedicate the book to your two children, Jules and Georgina. I find I've got two small children. They're five and three. Um, Neither of them have special needs. And I am constantly feeling torn about sharing my love between Mm. them. And they're very incessant about what they need from me. (laughs) Um, Has it been challenging to raise a child that has um, been diagnosed with Asperger's and your daughter at the Mm. same time? Yes, because you always feel that you're not giving enough attention and love to the to the neurotypical sibling, of course, because if you have a child with special needs, that takes up a lot of energy, a lot of oxygen, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of space. But I would say all the research shows that the sibling of a child with special needs grows up to be the most well-rounded, grounded adult because they haven't put themselves first. They've had they've had to learn to be compassionate and kind and patient. And also they make very good friends. They have great friendship support systems around them because they've had to look for that nourishment sometimes outside the family. So don't despair. Any mums listening thinking that, you know, you're worried about the the, uh, normal, inverted commas, sibling, they do grow up to be the most brilliant adults. Kathy, I love your positive take on all of this and it doesn't even feel like you're trying. So thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us. It's a pleasure. And you're the most perspicacious <laughs> and charming interviewer. I can't believe you've got two small children. You should be branded. You should be a few nappies short of a full load. You should be lying in the corner sobbing in the fetal position. So the very fact that you're actually upright and words are coming out of your mouth in a full sentence is pretty damn impressive in my view. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. That's Kathy Lett. She's the author of The Best Laid Plans and we will have a link up to her book on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.